it's time for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by the one and only Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, to take a look back at this week in history, joining us for the very first time in the I new know. studio. This Good is morning. positively historic. It really is. And oh, let me turn on your mic. There we go. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, I was going to say, this is positively historic, and it's uh, great to see WCHL in a place that befits a world-class radio station uh, this is fantastic. We are excited about it. Yeah. Yes. And even, and even, you know, when I first heard you broadcasting last Tuesday, I thought, even the radio sounds better. Now, That's what we thought. Yeah. I don't know why that is. We didn't have everything is. working right last yeah. week. Like that microphone you're talking on right now, we didn't have that actually working <laughs> right until the end of the week. But like in general, it sounded a lot better immediately. It did. We were happy it about is. that. Yes. Yeah. I think that just says something about the staff here and uh, about WCHL as it begins its next 70 years. So <laughs> there you go. I think that's great. Well, this is a great week that I, I always get excited about because. Something happens on um, uh, November 29th, 1961, that changes everything. And, um, uh, and actually, it's not by a person. It's by a chimpanzee named Enos. Now, we have the Eno River, but this is Enos with an S. And Enos was a five-year-old chimp. Uh, earlier that year, on uh, March, uh, I mean, uh, January 31st, 1961, another chimp had been sent into suborbital uh, uh, and, uh, you know, this is the early days of the space program. Mm. They weren't even sending people up because they were like, well, let's first try it with some things. In fact, the Russians back in 1957 had sent a dog up into space. It was a one-way trip. Poor dog. And right. they'd still be going out there somewhere. But uh, once they determined that, yes, this was possible, the United States says, well, we're going to send someone up and uh, a, a creature before we can send a person and first test it. So they chose a chimp, and if you ever see some of those pictures of what looks like a ham, that was the name of this first chimp in, uh, back in January, smiling. It's not out of smiling, it's out of fear. And after he comes back, he and he experienced G-forces, and he just, his handlers, the reason he's not chosen for the next mission is he's terrified. He will not right. go near these rockets. So they pick this next uh a chimp named Enos, and Enos is five years old. He's a little more surly. He's a little bit more have his own opinions, but he's brilliantly smart. And what they want uh, Enos to do, and the question they had to ask is, could a human being, and chimps are, you know, in that line, uh, could they uh, operate and be cognitively cognitively aware um, in orbit? So right. they send them up, and it is the mission from hell. Everything could go wrong, does go wrong. The it's uh, the trajectory is not quite right. The missiles keep refiring, and not only that, but poor little chimp, he's supposed to press these levers, and he gets a reward. You know, a little banana pellet. Mm. Well. He's really good at the, but what happens is it begins to malfunction. And so he begins to get an electric shock in his feet every time he pushes the wrong lever. Except this case, he's pushing the right lever and he's still getting a shock. Do you know he persists like over 30 times the first time around? Now at this point, everyone's beginning at mission control, beginning to get a little bit like, what's going on? And um, so they reset it they, and he goes around a second time. Second time, same malfunctions, and at uh, this point, now Mission Control is getting panicked. They bring him down. He persists like 40 times. It's incredible. They bring him down. He's in the wrong place. They finally open his capsule, and he has torn off every single 
electrode that's uh, monitoring him. Um, and um, at this point, though, these, he's answered a, a question, though it wasn't the one they were wondering about, was can people uh, behave cognitively? And right. the answer is yes. Because yeah. look what this chimp did under these extraordinarily stressful circumstances. And uh, within three months, John Glenn is going up on February 20, 20th, uh, uh, 1962, and a whole new chapter, all thanks to this chimp. And here is the local connection, um, and that is the capsule that Enos went up is on loan uh, from the Smithsonian to the uh, North Carolina Museum of Life and Science in Durham. Oh, cool. You can go there anytime right. and on the ground floor see this, this capsule that not only went up to space, but you'll also see a little picture of him. Uh, we, must have, we must have seen it because we, uh, sure we went did. to the Life and Science yeah. Museum not too long ago. I oh, don't yes. remember that particular exhibit, but <laughs> I'll have to go it's, back. You'll have to. It's, re- it's just one of the great things to know that here is a real connection to real space history that made such a difference. Okay, here's one that when we talk about origins, um, and it goes back to uh, 1875. And on November 30th, um, uh, there is a patent uh, that's issued for a biscuit cutter. Now, if you've ever been anywhere and you've gotten a biscuit— and they're all that kind of uniform size. Right. You can thank this uh, particular uh, person, Alexander Ashbourne, who was born into slavery in 1820. And then uh, by the 1840s, uh, Philadelphia had passed uh, legislation and everyone was free. Right. And so um, we don't know a lot of what happens. But after the Civil War, suddenly he shows up in Philadelphia and he's a caterer. And he notices that all the biscuits are being made by hand. And he's a bit of an inventor, so he comes up with this design. He keeps tinkering around with it, submits an application for it, a patent, and sure enough, that is granted. And that's why all those biscuits are about the same. You can trace it back to Alexander Ashmore. Not only that, but later on, he would also be the person responsible for refining coconut oil. Now, if you've ever used it or seen it in stores, he's a guy who's the one who said, hey, I think this could be useful. How'd they get coconuts in Philadelphia in 1875? <laughs> you know, uh, that's a really good question. See, this is it's the, the same show. way King Arthur did. <laughs> I hope this gets people going. I want to know more. <laughs> yes, every time you every time warming. you do one of these history, uh, this day in history things, it's like my my follow up question has nothing to do with the actual historical thing. It's like, how did they get a coconut in the first place? Well, this was what keeps us so curious. Like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, yeah. another rabbit hole to go down to find out. By the time it arrives in Philadelphia. Yes. I imagine it's all dried out. Was There's no oil in it at all. going on at this point? And yeah. <laughs> Speaking with uh, Scott Washington, History Matters, uh, two more. What do we got? Okay. Uh, one is a, a woman in 1954 um, who was just sitting in her living room in Alabama, and, um, and there was this, this flash across the sky, a scene by four states, a fireball, and this meteor comes down, it divides in a couple of pieces. One piece crashes through her roof, ricochets around, and bruises her. Doesn't doesn't kill her, it bruises her, and it's lying there on the floor. Uh, they call in the Air Force because they're not quite sure what this is, and they confirm it's a 4.5 billion-year-old meteorite. All right. <laughs> and it's now in the Smithsonian, but, you know, that's one of those unusual things that happened. <laughs> that she thought it was a chimney. No, it was a meteorite. Not that you're going to ever have this happen, but just one of those fun things. Okay, this is also a week when we have uh, 
on December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks hmm. uh, is on a bus in Montgomery. The uh, bus fills Slightly up. more historical event that happened yes, in Alabama it in the really 50s. is, exactly. Yeah. And I think this is probably an important one that we all should remember. And um, uh, the, as was the city ordinances at that point, uh, they said, the bus driver said, no, you're going to have to move. We have more white passengers. And she said, no. And that no was probably the largest yes when it comes to civil rights that we know of. And uh, leads to the Montgomery boy, uh, bus boycott, uh, the last over a year before finally uh, being overturned in the courts and as part of the long progress. And, of course, Martin Luther King was involved in that boycott. Um, he pops up this week because in 1962, in Rocky Mount, this is thanks to the North Carolina Department of Archives, and they found out that on uh, November 27th, he's giving a speech, and he's talking about, I have a dream. Now, this is months before the letter from a Birmingham jail from, uh, and months before uh, the March on Washington or the Nobel Prize. But this is the theme that he begins to, to trot out. In North Carolina. In North Carolina. That's awesome. a great uh, thing that we can uh, celebrate. Our people who stood up, said yes, said no, and made a difference. And that's how history matters. Scott Washington, thank you so much. Thank you so much.